All right, Ephesians 6, starting in 18, second half of 18. To that end, keep alert with all perseverance, making supplication for all the saints, and also for me, that words may be given to me in opening my mouth boldly to proclaim the mystery of the gospel for which I am an ambassador in chains, that I may declare it boldly as I ought to speak, so that you also may know how I, how I am and what I am doing. Tychicus, the beloved brother and faithful minister in the Lord, will tell you everything. I have sent him to you for this very purpose, that you may know how we are and that he may encourage your hearts. Peace be to you, brothers, and the love with faith from God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Grace be with you all who love our Lord Jesus Christ with love incorruptible. Let's pray. Thank you, Father, for this letter of Ephesians, a letter that you once, a couple thousand years ago, inspired an apostle to write to believers in a certain place. But this letter was copied and circulated so much that it was considered Bible very early on, and churches for thousands of years have read this and benefited greatly from it. So much amazing truth in this book. So many phenomenal things to learn about who you are and who we are in you. How often that phrase, in Christ, shows up in this book. God, I pray that all of us would have been changed and that from now going forward, whenever we read this book, we'll remember some of the things we learned and felt and experienced as we studied it together. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, so Paul begins this part by saying, to that end. Well, to what end? It's what he was just saying in the first part of verse 18. Praying at all times in the Spirit with all prayer and supplication. So he's saying, to that end, since we're on the topic of prayer anyway, now I want to tell you this, keep alert with all perseverance. Like I said last week, verse 18 is a connecting verse. There's even a period in there. But that part about um, praying at all times in the Spirit with all prayer and supplication, that was written in the context of spiritual warfare, like Eric was talking about earlier today for the kids' portion, um, as part of how we battle against temptation and attacks, prayer. But now this part of the verse kind of transitions into the closing part of Ephesians. And so Paul's saying, to that end, keep alert with all perseverance. And that, that idea of keeping alert with all perseverance that comes from this idea of a watchman. And in those times, you'd have a watchman who would stand watch over a city or over a kingdom or a castle, if you will, whatever you can think of. A watchman would look out to see for possible intruders, see anybody coming, and they'd be aware. And they'd better not fall asleep on the job because all their people are counting on them. And so Paul talks about keeping alert with all perseverance in terms of prayer. And he says, making supplication for all the saints. As if to say, all of your brothers and sisters in Christ, their lives depend on you staying alert and persevering in prayer for them. Just like a watchman over a city, everyone in that city is, they're depending for their lives on this person not falling asleep. Paul is saying, all of you, don't fall asleep in prayer for one another. Keep alert. Do we pray enough for people? Do we see the importance of prayer life, not just for our own benefit, but also for those around us? 
Do we see the need for prayer? Well, Paul likens it to a watchman who must stay alert and persevere, not just when he feels like it, not just when he's asked to, but as if the safety of his people depends on it. So in your study guide, the question is, you know, how often should you pray or when should you pray for others? Hopefully you've got a better answer to that question now. Do you remember the prayer that Paul prayed in the beginning of the book of Ephesians? He was letting them know how he prays for them. In Ephesians 1, verse 15, Paul says, For this reason, because I have heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love toward all the saints, I do not cease to give thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you the spirit of wisdom and of revelation in the knowledge of him, having the eyes of your heart enlightened, that you may know what is the hope to which he's called you, what are the riches of his glorious inheritance. And he goes on and he goes on, the immeasurable greatness of power. It's a very wonderful, beautiful, thoughtful prayer. It wasn't a fleeting prayer that came out of nowhere. He didn't just say, yeah, I prayed for you. He's like, here's what I prayed, and his prayer was amazing. But also I made the point when we were going over those verses to say, he said, remembering you in my prayers, which is different than saying, I prayed for you. Do you remember the difference? The difference is, I could just say, I prayed for you, and that might be all I prayed for, but Paul is saying, I have prayers, and I remembered you in them, which is to say, Paul had a discipline of prayer in his life. He didn't just pray when someone asked. He didn't just pray when it just kind of came to his mind to do so. He had what's called a prayer life. He had a, a discipline of prayer, and he remembered them in his prayers. And so there's a routine to that. And so it's important that we build up a routine for prayer so that we can pray regularly for ourselves, for our families, for our friends, for our loved ones. And in so doing, be a watchman who seems and feels somewhat responsible for the safety and the care and the protection and the health and the spiritual health of these people, that we consider ourselves watchmen who pray for them. And in verse 19, Paul says, Also pray for me, that the words may be given to me in opening my mouth, boldly to proclaim the mystery of the gospel, for which I am an ambassador in chains, that I may declare it boldly as I ought to speak. So here Paul gets a little more personal and says, Pray also for me. You might remember that Paul was in prison while writing this letter. It's called the prison epistle, one of them. So Paul is currently in prison of sorts. It's kind of like house arrest. He was able to live in his own space, but there's always a soldier guarding him. He could receive visitors, but he wasn't free to just go wherever he wanted. He couldn't, for example, go on future missionary journeys anymore. He was stuck. And so surely there were other things he could have asked for prayer for. You know, he could have asked for more favor with the guards to maybe let him slip in and out and do things and kind of break the rules and, you know, do whatever he wanted. He might have wanted prayer for better food. Who knows what kind of food they gave him? Could he even go shopping on his own or did they just bring him like bare minimum? Who knows? He was on house arrest. All sorts of things that he could have asked for prayer about, maybe like freedom from chains to go on future missionary journeys. He could have prayed for many things, but here he just asked for a prayer that 
he would be able to share the gospel beyond his own ability. Don't forget that Paul as an apostle wasn't an apostle because he was so skilled. He says here that words would be given to him in opening his mouth. That words would be given to him because he knew that for his words to make a difference, they had to be supernatural. It couldn't just be his words. No matter how articulate he was, he wanted prayer that words would be given to him and open his mouth to boldly proclaim the mystery of the gospel. That was his prayer, that he could boldly proclaim the gospel, that God would give him words to speak to whoever is there, to the guard at his door, anyone who's visiting him, the letters that he writes, that God would give him boldness and give him words for the gospel. So verse 21, he says, So that you may also know how I am and what I am doing, Tychicus, the beloved brother and faithful minister in the Lord, will tell you everything. I have sent him to you for this very purpose, that you may know how we are, and that he may encourage your hearts. So here we meet this man, Tychicus, who is delivering this letter, apparently, to the Ephesians. He's going to deliver the letter and also then be there to say how Paul is and answer their questions about how he's doing. Not much is known about Tychicus. He's mentioned five times in the Bible, and from what we can get from the Bible, he was from the Roman province of Asia somewhere. He might have been from Ephesus. That's a, a tradition in the church. Uh, it's unclear. But he calls him here a beloved brother and faithful minister. So he's been a great help to Paul. He's been a minister to Paul. He says the same thing about him in Colossians. Also, the Catholic Encyclopedia says that he became a bishop of either Colophon, Chalcedon, or Neapolis in a place called Cyrus or Cyprus. One Christian theologian from very, very early times, about like a second century, listed him as one of the 70 disciples that are mentioned in, in Luke, in Luke 10, that are sent out. So perhaps he was from that time. But be that as it may, this Tychicus was with Paul and was going to deliver this letter to the Ephesians. And I wanted to mention an interesting point about this. This was hard for Paul to do. Paul, being on house arrest, didn't have many visitors, didn't have much company. And writing letters was something to keep busy with, but he had to deliver it somehow. So someone like Tychicus, who was a beloved and faithful minister, had to then leave Paul and do that. And it wasn't easy. We get some insight into this. Um, in, in the letter 2 Timothy, so Paul wrote letters to Timothy. Paul sent Timothy out to be a minister, and Paul wrote him letters. The second one we have we call 2 Timothy. And this letter was written very close to Paul's death, perhaps the last letter he wrote before dying. And so Paul is dealing with different things like loneliness. And he doesn't want to necessarily complain, but you can kind of sense some of that when you hear. So in 2 Timothy 4, Paul says to Timothy, Do your best to come to me, for Demas, in love with his present world, has deserted me and gone to Thessalonica. Crescens has gone to Galatia, Titus to Dalmatia, Luke alone is with me. Then he says, get Mark and bring him with you, for he is very useful to me in ministry. And then in 2 Timothy 4.12, he says, Tychicus I have sent to Ephesus. So this happened basically right after he writes this letter to the Ephesians. Pretty soon after that, he writes this letter to Timothy saying, Tychicus is gone now. And he's kind of listing off those that have left him to where he's saying now, Luke alone is with me. And so you can tell Paul must deal with loneliness, must miss 
these people must miss being able to travel around to different villages and, and share the gospel and plant churches and revisit those people and see how they're doing. And so the sacrifice of him to give up someone like Tychicus to go deliver this letter instead of staying to remain with Paul and minister to him. So this is an interesting point I wanted to bring up. Verse 23, Paul says, Peace be to the brothers and love with faith from God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Grace be with you all, or be with all who love our Lord Jesus Christ with love incorruptible. So Paul closes every letter a bit differently. His openings are, are, are pretty consistent. His openings always have something like Paul, an apostle, perhaps whoever was with him. And then he'll say something like, grace and peace from God the Father, our Lord Jesus Christ. His openings are pretty similar, but his closings are always a bit different. And here he mentions four things. He mentions peace, love, faith, and grace. These things all come from God, but interestingly enough, they're not for everyone. In this verse, or in these two verses, notice what Paul says. He says, "Grace be to, or peace be to the brothers and love with faith. And then in verse 24, grace be with all who love our Lord Jesus with Christ with love incorruptible. So it's conditional. And I think the point I'm trying to make is just that this letter was clearly written to a large audience. And so Paul is saying basically... Here's my, my closing blessing, but just in reading it, that doesn't mean you get this blessing. You're only getting this blessing if you are a follower of Jesus. This is going to be a widely circulated letter. There are things about it that make us think that Paul intended for it to be a widely circulated letter. And so this kind of conditional blessing at the end is interesting. You wouldn't often do that in church. I wouldn't be here this morning and say, I wish you all a blessed week if you're following Jesus. Because there's kind of this assumption, right, that you sort of are, if you're here and you're still here after a half hour of listening to me, that you're probably here because you want to learn about Jesus and learn the Bible and all that. But so in this letter, he says, peace be not to all, but peace to the brothers, and grace be with all, not just all, but all who love the Lord Jesus with love incorruptible. Okay, so that's the end of the letter. What I want to do with the rest of the time is do a little bit of review and highlight some of the great things we've learned. I just want to make sure that I'm not taking too much advantage of the time. I think we're actually pretty ahead of schedule, um, so we've got some time. A couple of things just to remind us of this book, all right? The first thing was, um, uh, I missed those things. Remember the structure? We had the first half of this book. I'd love you guys to always remember this. When you remember Ephesians, um, I was talking to a friend of mine whose um, Bible study group is going through Ephesians, and um, and I mentioned this structure, and he said, oh, "Yeah, we're we're not um, we're not uh, analytical enough to go into that much detail about the book." And I was like, "This is like the most basic thing about the book is just knowing that there's, there's two halves to it. The first half is all about what God has done. The second half is all about what we must do." And I said to him, it's so important to know that because it becomes a model for our life. God doesn't want you to go out there and just start doing things for him without understanding who he is, without knowing what he's done for you. This isn't like a one-sided, he's not just saying, go do these things. It's like based on what he's done, based on who he is, then we must live a certain way. And so it's, it, that structure is so important to know. 
Uh, second thing, you might remember this picture. Any of you remember it? Oh, sure. Yep. You remember that picture? All right. This picture was to show us that when we're talking about the blessings that God has given us, we don't learn those things just to get high and lofty and have these intricate and complex thoughts about how salvation works and all that. The goal behind learning these blessings is to respond back to God with gratitude and love and adoration and worship. And so we read that verse in Ephesians 1.3 where Paul said, Blessed be God who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing. So it's we've been blessed by God with every spiritual blessing, and our response is blessed be God for that blessing. So it's a circular, the more we're blessed, the more we give back to Him. Shouldn't make us arrogant, shouldn't make us feel better than others. We should just want to give it back to Him in gratitude. Also, remember this picture, perhaps. During Paul's prayer, we came up with this sort of term, ACTS, A-C-T-S, to describe a model for prayer. Not the model. This isn't a mandate. But for those who like structure, who would be helped by this, when they're thinking, okay, if I set aside time to pray every day, what do I pray about? It's a good model to have. The A stands for adoration, the C for confession, the T for thanksgiving, and the S for supplication. Kind of a neat thing there is that you don't begin to ask for things until you've adored God and you've confessed your sins and you've thanked Him for what you've already have. And so it's a good, it's a good model. Again, not required, but it's a good model to have. Also, remember, Paul spent a lot of time talking about the difference between Jews and Gentiles and now in Christ what the relationship was. And we discussed how traditionally Gentiles felt pretty much excluded from Jewish life. And Jews liked it that way. Traditionally, they didn't want Gentiles in their synagogues, marrying into their families. So they were out. But Paul makes the point that in Christ, we're all one. We're all one new people. And so that was a good, strong emphasis in these first chapters was what God has done for us in Christ has made us all one. We talked a lot about unity with diversity. How we have the same call. We're all called to be believers. There's one body, one spirit, one hope, one Lord, one baptism, one Father, and we can unite in all those things, and yet we have different gifts that God gives us, whether it's apostle, prophet, evangelist, shepherd, teacher, or saint, just any kind of believer. And all of these things, we're to be building up one another in Christ. Also remember Paul used the word walk a lot in this letter, to remind us that the Christian life is a walk, that none of us have arrived yet, we're still on the way, and I likened it to a journey, and when we compare the things of our old life to the things that God wants to give us in this new life, it becomes a journey where we're, we're giving up things that we used to do in exchange for things Christ wants to give us, and it doesn't feel like a sacrifice, it feels like we're chasing after things we love when we realize how much more superior the things are that Christ wants to give us. So it's chasing after what you love. And remember I used the metaphor from the lion, the witch, and the wardrobe where you see this transformation happen with, with Edmund where at first this Turkish delight seems so delicious and he just wants it and that's the things of this world. But then after he comes to his rock bottom and he comes to Jesus and repents and receives forgiveness, 
his whole perspective changes. And by the end, he no longer wants the white witch of Turkish delight. He's going to battle against her and fight against her. Our whole perspective changes in this new life. Speaking of new life, we spent a lot of time talking about the new life. We had a seven-part mini-series about what the new life looks like based on Paul's writings, putting off the old self, putting on the new self, our relationship to the world, our communication of new life, our communication in marriage, in family and work, our spiritual reality. Spent a lot of time there. I hope that was really beneficial to you. One of the highlights from this book was thinking about all of the things that God has done for us. And there was a time when I read off a list of all those things. But what I didn't do, because we just finished the second half, was do a similar list for what we must now do. So what I want to end with as we enter into communion, as we're thinking about the body and blood of Christ, I want to read again the list of what God has done and then read the list of what things we must do. And these are summaries. They're not complete. For example, like putting on the new self, I just leave that there. I didn't then also list off everything underneath that that was associated with it. But it's in general terms, I want us to think about what God has done and then what we must do. And it's kind of, and in that sense, do the whole book as an overview, okay? So what God has done, God has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in heavenly places. God shows us in Him before the foundation of the world. God has predestined us for adoption to Himself through Jesus Christ. God has redeemed us. God has forgiven us. God has lavished His grace upon us. God has revealed His will to us. God has united Jew and Gentile in Christ. God has given us an inheritance. God has predestined us for this inheritance. God has sealed us with the Holy Spirit. God has called us to hope. God has given us an inheritance again. God has raised Christ from the dead. God has made us alive together in Christ. God has raised us up and seated us with Christ in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. God has saved us by grace through faith. God has brought near those who were far off. God has made Jews and Gentiles one in Christ. God made Paul a minister to the Gentiles so that we could understand the mystery of the gospel being for all mankind. And now, what we must do, we must walk worthy of our calling. We must be humble, gentle, patient, and loving. We must be eager to maintain unity. We must equip the saints for the ministry. We must build up the body of Christ. We must make spiritual progress toward unity, knowledge, and maturity. We must speak the truth in love. We must stop living like unbelievers. We must put off the old self, be renewed in the spirit of our minds, and put on the new self. We must be imitators of God. 
We must walk in sacrificial love like Christ did. We must not participate in works of darkness, nor partner with those that do. We must expose darkness to the light of Christ so the world can find life in Him. We must submit to one another. Wives must submit to their husbands. Husbands must love their wives like Christ loved the church. Children must obey and honor their parents. We must work diligently and obediently toward earthly superiors as unto the Lord. And those in authority must stop threatening and instead treat subordinates like brothers and sisters in Christ. We must put on the whole armor of God. We must be alert and pray always for the saints, remembering again that this is a walk. The things we can, we can go towards, this is the ideal, this is the goal. It doesn't mean we have to arrive or have arrived. Arrived. 